0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, Uh, but today I'm stepping away from the texts, and I'm looking at the movies, specifically one that came out in 1983. So, let's talk about 1983 for a second. Okay, it's 1983. The world is in full grips of Stephen King's storytelling by this point. It's seen the release of Carrie... Salem's Lot, The Shining, Night Shift, The Stand, The Dead Zone, Firestarter, and Cujo with film adaptations of many of them including um, the famous and terrifying The Shining. It's 1983. By this point, Halloween will never be the same because of the connotations that come with a certain William Shatner masked knife-wielding slasher, his long-lost sister, his obsessive psychiatrist, and the babysitters who got in his way. By this point, pirate ghosts are no longer relegated to Scooby-Doo cartoons, and when the fog rolls in, it's okay to get a little scared about what might come with it. If your friends start acting strangely, you might be tempted to ask them if they've taken a trip to the Arctic and been exposed to a long-dormant alien entity. By 1983, Stephen King has conquered books. By 1983, John Carpenter, having released Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, and The Thing, has unknowingly at that point solidified himself as a legend in the field of genre movies. It's 1983, and during this year, we see the perfect blend of sensibilities with the adaptation of Christine, King's love letter of A Boy and His Car, with John Carpenter's stylistic cinematic choices. It is a great combination and one that I wish resulted with future collaborations. Um, I didn't know exactly how I was going to feel about Christine, the movie going into it, because if you listen to last week's review of the book, Christine is a novel that I only visited once. Uh, I was around 13 years old. And this was before I owned a car, so I, I didn't I, I didn't really know exactly what it was meant to be, how I was supposed to feel. And I saw the movie after I read the book and I thought it was okay. I didn't think anything of it. I haven't seen it since. And I uh, I was so happy watching this movie because at this point I I understand I've always liked Halloween, but, and I always like John Carpenter, but I, at, at, at this point, I, I think this, uh, we've been through a cycle um, in, in, in cinema, and what worked a lot of the time in 80s that went away for a long time has kind of resurfaced um, in terms of, of tone and stylistic choices um, that that originated a lot with Carpenter, and you can see his influences on a lot of movies. Um, one that comes to mind is is the movie Drive, which whose soundtrack I had playing during the uh, Wikipedia summary of Christine's um, review last week, and and the music in Drive is very reminiscent and very inspired by John Carpenter's uh, scores. Um, in fact, there, there's just a, there's one scene in in that particular movie it's just a, a John Carpenter love letter in which the main character is wearing this creepy mask for no other reason than just to pay an homage to Halloween as he tries to run this guy down in a, in a scene that's straight out of Christine. Um, so John Carpenter is someone that, you know, doesn't really do as much as, as he used to, but he's someone that, that left a, a huge impression upon Hollywood and filmmakers and a lot of it has to do not not just with you know Halloween, which I think will always be his what's considered his masterpiece, but with with, with movies like Christine as well. It's a beautifully shot movie. Uh, there's iconic images in there that I'm gonna get to uh, in a little bit, and, and the music. The music, the music is great. It's such a powerful piece of music. And that's one thing that I love about John Carpenter. You don't really get directors, slash writers, slash producers. Who are also able to score their own music. When you when you marry those those abilities, you you create a fully realized vision of an artist that happens not that often. So when John Carpenter is able to do that, you're getting a real glimpse into the whole process. So he takes what Stephen King did and he does it his own way, which is what I I really really like that. And and on top of that, you you see elements of Stephen King's novel, parts that are lifted directly from Stephen King's novel. You, you, you hear Stephen King dialogue and repurposed bits of, of Stephen King's writing that are, that's turned into dialogue, but it doesn't come across as hokey as some of Stephen King's words do when translated to film. Something about this movie just works for me. Maybe it's the, the, the B movie quality of the book works really well as a movie i don't know what it is i didn't expect me to enjoy it as much as i did but i did um and i'm just gonna get into it i don't think it's gonna be a long review and and like my other uh movie reviews uh, it's it's less organized it's just kind of a a running running thoughts as i as i took my notes um that's just like right away it's a fun opening right? I mean, you just hear the engine revving and and idling while the the credits roll. It's a knowing introduction, and you can tell right away that John Carpenter is going to have fun with this movie, and he's telling us, don't take it too seriously. And... And in order, and then he reinforces that with a flashback to 1957 when Bad of the Bone starts playing when we first meet Christine. So yeah, you're not supposed to take this seriously. It's a movie that you're, you're supposed to just kind of sit back with a bucket of popcorn and just really enjoy with a grin on your face. And when we first meet Christine... It's it's filmed so great. She's beautiful. She's shining under the lights, and she just cruises down the assembly line like a diva on the walkway, right? You know, I just expect all the guys there to just start whistling and catcalling at her. She knows she's hot, and she loves it. She loves the attention that she gets, and when she gets an opportunity, she shows that she's sassy and she doesn't take any guff from anyone. She lets her hood fall on an unsuspecting technician's hand. You know, just a a wry little warning to everyone around her: watch out for me. Um, You can't handle me. And everyone loves her. You know, a mechanic sits in her. You know, he could have sat in any other car in that line, but it's as if he's drawn to her. And then he happens to spill some ash inside her interior, a move that that will cost him his life. You have to treat her better than that. And he learns it the hard way. And then with that, John Carpenter has, has... created christine the the cinematic christine he's given us everything that we need to the novel has a lot of um flashbacks there's a mythology built around uh, with christine and he you know john carpenter said i don't need any of that all i need is it's just it's a movie about a killer car and i'm going to tell a movie about a killer car and where do cars start on the assembly line so right off the way you know right off the bat she's just she's bad to the bone from the very very beginning and then we flash to present day, um, and we meet our main characters. We, we meet Dennis and Arnie and Regina. Um, we see that Arnie is a schlub. He's spilling trash all over his driveway. Uh, Dennis picks him up, and we get a, a, a different dynamic between he and Regina than in the book. Here it comes across that Dennis is less of a longtime friend of Arnie um, than a nuisance who listens to music too loudly and drives too fast. In the eyes of Regina, That in the beginning. Later, that softens a little bit, but that was my first um, impression. Dennis, by the way, is rocking out to ABBA in the car, a uh, a bold choice, but one that I I, I admire. And while in the car, we, we get a nice glimpse of the relationship between these two guys, uh, with Arnie referencing a game of Scrabble, in which he used the word fellatio, um, which is Carpenter's way of showing Arnie's cleverness Um, and, and virginity, you know, the closest he's come to that word is placing tiles upon a scrabble board. And already viewer, the viewer gets a sense that Dennis's experience with that word is not limited to tiles on a board. Um, and then in the hallway at school, Carpenter manages to reveal everything that we need to know about the characters without shoving it down our throats. During the scene, Dennis is visited by three different people showing off his popularity, while the entire time, Arnie alternates between attempts in opening his locker and mocking everyone that Dennis talks to, showcasing his ineptitude in life as well as his insecurities and jealousies. During the scene, we learn that there's a new girl in town. Now, unlike the book, Lee is introduced in the beginning of the narrative before Arnie has made his transformation. It's not a huge change, but it's definitely a change from the book. And then Carpenter shows us Dennis's loyalty and bravery confronting Buddy and his goons. Uh, Buddy pulls his knife, and the shop teacher doesn't back down when Buddy tries to intimidate him. It's funny, though, the, the teacher telling Buddy to go to the office when it looks like Buddy should be hanging out in the teacher's lounge. And just like in the book, while riding in the car, they spot Christine, and from afar, she sinks her hooks into Arnie. And we meet LeBay, except here uh, the LeBays are switched. In the novel, Roland LeBay is who we meet. Uh, the original owner, while in the movie, the original owner is dead, and the brother is selling Christine. Right here, Carpenter is taking LeBay completely out of the equation and just puts all the focus on Christine herself. We're going to later learn that LeBay has not only died but killed himself and Christine of carbon monoxide poisoning, um, and later in the movie, Dennis and LeBay's brother will have a conversation about Christine's past, very similar to the, the, the book, except LeBay's brother isn't as kindly as, as he was in the book. He has all of the traits and mannerisms and the back brace of role LeBay, but doesn't have the claim of ownership over the vehicle. Carpenter has turned this character uh, from the book into another victim of the car and imbued his traits onto his brother, who functions in this movie as the strange prophetic harbinger of doom. <laughs> While in the kitchen, Dennis watches the showdown between Arnie's parents. With much of the dialogue uh, the same as it was in the novel, and it's very similar, but uh, different. You know, I guess because we don't get the sense that Dennis is both out of place and right at home in the house. You know, having mixed feelings about his relationship with Regina. You know, here at this point, it's clear she's just a mean mom. Like I said, it's going to soften a little bit, but. we don't really get to see the complexity of his feelings towards her, um, and he's respectful around her, even though he can't stand her as much as she can't stand him, it seems. It's a small difference, and it doesn't change what Carpenter's doing with the movie. Uh, with that said, the, the scene is still brutally awkward in, in either version, with Arnie, whose glasses are now adorned with masking tape, um, coming off like a petulant whiner and, and Dennis just being stuck in the crossfire. And then immediately after, we meet Darnell, who is played masterfully by Robert Prosky, who chews every bit of thuggish dialogue like he's a mob boss. You can tell he's having so much fun, and it's great to watch. And in the car ride home, uh, Arnie and Dennis have a quick conversation, but one that cuts to the bone of Arnie himself. He refers to himself as ugly, and while the two can rib each other, you can tell that Dennis feels for Arnie. There's so much empathy in his voice when he tries to convince Arnie otherwise, and it's true. In the novel, Arnie is a mess, physically, and and Christine's transformation mirrors his own, vice versa. Here, Arnie's transformation is almost purely a spiritual one, as he's never a monster to look at, physically. Now, with that said, Carpenter knows enough to give us quiet little moments, such as the one where Arnie sits behind the wheel of Christine, petting her dashboard while listening to music. It's scenes like this that say so much about the tone of the movie and its characters. We see Arnie's need for someone, in this case Christine, and how she's easily able to seduce him. It reveals the qualities about both the characters, the one who prays and the one preyed upon. And Dennis sneaks into Darnell's shop to take a look at Christine, where we get a sense of her personality. In a scene that Michael Bay would later emulate in his Transformers movie, Christine uses the radio to talk to those around her. In this case, she plays Smiley Lewis's I Hear You Knockin'. And Dennis, knowing it's strange for a car to turn itself on, then play a song specific to that particular moment, hightails it out of the garage. It's a great little moment. Um, and it, you know, in the book, when Dennis starts to get a, a bad feeling about Christine, it's um, he sits behind the wheel of Christine, and Christine gives him a vision. Like she tries to seduce him here, it's she's saying, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, nope." Nope, you you're not touching me. You're come, not coming close to me. You don't you don't have that right. Um, and then you know we start to see Arnie's transformation, which comes a lot faster than in the book, which is a necessity due to the fact that we're watching a, a movie that that needs to get from point A to point B pretty quickly. And each time we see Arnie, he's a little bit more confident. His voice a little bit deeper. His glasses disappear. He dresses more stylishly. But I'm glad to see that. Carpenter knows enough to uh, not forget that it's important to show us that he's still Arnie. He's still sarcastic and goofy. Sorry, I just popped the mini Reese's pieces buttercup in my mouth. Um, In the presence of Christine, Dennis suffers his football injury. I don't recall in the book if King tied the two events together or suggested that they were connected. Here, Carpenter makes it clear that Christine is responsible either because she somehow affected the events to cause his injury, or by distracting Dennis enough to leave himself vulnerable. Then when Lee tells Arnie that he cares more about Christine than Arnie, that, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Christine than, 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 than her, it comes out of the blue. Uh, at this point in the movie, we just haven't seen that to be the case. But just like the book, Lee takes a bite out of the sandwich and begins to choke. Rather than involving a hitchhiker, uh, Carpenter forces Arnie outside of the car by having him uh, fix a windshield wiper, when she starts choking. Uh, you know, and it's a really creepy scene that that I really really like. Uh, while she's choking, it looks looks horrifying and it looks painful. And then the the, the lights on the inside of the car just illuminate gives it this great otherworldliness. It's a, it's an incredible stylistic choice on Carpenter's part. Lee fumbles with the door while Arnie struggles to get in, and then Good Samaritan manages to save the day. And not at the expense of Arnie's character at this point. You know, by not having him be able to get inside the car doesn't make him complicit in the attack, not in the way that it did in the book, because by this time, you know, we know in the, in the book that LeBay pretty much let his daughter die in the car by choking, so... You know, we don't think that Arnie really wants Lee to die, but there's the question of that in in the book at least. Um, however, we we do see him get a little creepy uh, when he tries to put the moves on Lee back at her place. You know, he tries to convince her that the feelings after her near death experience was simply a result of sexual frustration. That's that's pretty low. That that's pretty it's pretty sleazy. So we can definitely see that that he's 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 losing his grip here. But spurned by Lee, Arnie returns to the arms of Christine, who, uh, who takes him in immediately playing I Wonder Why as soon as she, uh, she turns on. And then it's on. Uh, this is when the movie starts to really, um, shift into the next gear, I suppose. Buddy and his goons get their moment with her, and, uh, I think this is where one instance where the the, the the movie works a little bit better than the book because we get to see the, the physical destruction of the car. You know, it's brutal, and it makes her resurrection that much more awesome. Uh, it's at this moment where we start to say goodbye to Arnie, who loses it on Lee completely, and then later lashes out at his parents. Now, until now, Arnie's mother has been the only parent with any lines, and at the dinner table with the sheepest looks that the father gives to Regina, it's clear who's running the show— Carpenter handles it well without having to spend any time on it. Just an actor who isn't given many lines until that point and making him shoot a few looks of approval at his wife tells us all that we need to know about the two of them. And when he stands up to Arnie, we see that Arnie has made a darker transformation than his novel counterpart. Here, the relationship has deteriorated to the point where Mr. Cunningham has to put his hands on Arnie, who responds by choking him. In the look they share, it's clear that Arnie is willing to crush his windpipe if he needs to, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that the scene that's now lit with the knocked-over lamp has the same illumination as Christine's interior when Lee was choking. Mr. Cunningham watches in horror as what used to be his son, but is now just a stranger, walks upstairs to go to bed. Now, here we go. This is this is where it gets, like, really good. Uh, gentle... John Carpenter classic synthesized tones play as Carpenter builds to an incredible scene between Arnie and Christine. Arnie coos into Christine's ear about how it's just the two of them, and he hears the popping as she starts to put herself together. Arnie steps away, not to get away from her, but to get a better look, and says, Show me. Simultaneously, the synth blares, and the headlights flash spearing Arnie as he watches his girl put herself together um, with his command he's asking her to reveal herself to him not unlike if he had asked Lee to strip Keith Gordon who plays Arnie certainly plays it um kind of sexually you know as this if this is a relationship they're both taking it to that that next step and it works for the scene you know they're in it together now they're 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 making a commitment to one another. This is the moment that Arnie has been waiting for. He was rebuffed by Lee, but now he has Christine. They're two wounded creatures that have given themselves to each other. And as simultaneously sultry um, as it is sinister, we get this awesome music that starts playing. And in incredible incredible special effects as christine rebuilds herself i'm so glad this movie came out in 1983 because if it came out in 2014 we wouldn't get these effects you know we wouldn't get um a special effects team who had to figure out how to do this practically you would just have a computer effects team that would render it uh through cgi and it wouldn't look convincing and you'd be able to do more with it and you'd see everything and it wouldn't and it would lessen it and This looks so good, and it just makes the car look real, like you could feel it. It, It's just, when you see something, an actual thing in a movie as an effect, it just works so much better than seeing, you know, a computer digitalized thing. Anyway, that's my little rant about that. Now, Christine, having rebuilt herself, she's ready. She's ready for revenge. Uh, Little bitty pretty one carries on um, on the wind as she stalks Moochie. And the song is cut short with that classic Carpenter theme and that sound effect of the light flashing to life. She hunts him through the streets like a shark playing with a seal. No matter how far or how fast he runs, he won't be able to escape her, and the scene grows in intensity with the help of Carpenter's score. With the first death, Harry Dean Stanton shows up as Detective Junkins. He and Arnie have a showdown as Arnie attempts to leave, but Junkins defiantly stands in front of Christine. We see Junkins' determination and Arnie's newfound smarminess. Christine then goes after Buddy, not only chasing him into a gas station, but awesomely ramming his car so hard she starts pulling it backwards when she reverses. The accident causes a fire, so we get the incredible shot of a flame-engulfed Christine chasing after Buddy. It's badass and horrifying choice on Carpenter's part. The image of a flame-drenched Christine emerging from the darkness is a striking one, to say the least. And then she gets Darnell by crushing him against the steering wheel. It's a much less showy death than the one he receives in the novel, but this slow, claustrophobic way isn't without its effectiveness. And when, you know, Dennis and Arnie reunite, we see how far Arnie has fallen. You know, he's cocky, he's smarmy, he's mean-spirited, and while in the car, Dennis is frightened, and rightfully so. It's a great mirror scene to the earlier ones when Dennis was driving with a weaker Arnie in the passenger seat. The ending comes soon after, and Carpenter improves upon the conclusion of the book with the inclusion of Arnie, who in the book happens to die off page. Here he goes flying through the windshield, and before dying, lovingly reaches for his true love. Christine then rebuilds herself and faces off against Dennis in a Mexican standoff. But no matter what he does, she can't be put down. She keeps literally popping back to life. It's not the most exciting ending, but for the sheer visual, visual, um, it's incredible to watch. You know, the, the effect of a tractor absolutely smashing the car to smithereens. You know, like I said earlier, the, the practical effects are incredible. It's, it's fantastic. When the movie was made in 2014, it, it, this ending would just be a dud due to the, the overuse of, uh, of CGI. And then, you know, the last thing that we see of Christine, she's she's in the junkyard all squashed to a little square. But smallest piece of metal kind of pops out of place and starts to move, showing that can't keep a good girl down. She'll be back. Um, so that, you know, I mean, like I said, it's it's not even a half an hour. Um, typically, you know, the, the book reviews, um, they can go on for an hour more. But um, I just... The movie's good. It's a really good movie. It's just it's so stylish. With you know, I mean, not not the best performances you're ever gonna see out of the actors, but they're not horrible. They're they're good. They they work. Um, the the direction is is great. The cinematography is great. The score is unbelievable. Um, and there's just great shots in the movie that that just stand out as as wonderful images. I'm telling you, the the image of a Plymouth Fury on fire on a dark road is. It's one that is pun intended seared into my brain. So now um what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna talk about the what wins in the great battle between the book and the movie. So uh, let's talk about LeBay. Here we have uh, you know the the brother LeBay who has all the same qualities as Roland LeBay. Of course Roland LeBay mm. Excuse me. Um, Roland LeBay in the movie, I'm sorry, rather in the in the book, um, is a major character and a major presence, and his life and his death um, are completely intertwined with Christine as they form a a um, awful symbiotic relationship with one another, completely unhealthy, and their spirits are, are intermingled. They're just they're one and the same. Here, it's just that he was the previous owner, he died in her. Um, he probably was in love with her the same way he was in love, the the way that uh, Arnie was in love with Christine, but it's, uh, his spirit is not intermingled with with the car itself. Um, I like the simplicity on, on, on Carpenter's decision to just say, this is a story about a car, not the owner, but just the car and the new owner, um, but there's something to be said about what King is able to do with it, he makes it horrifying, um, and the idea of of Arnie slowly getting possessed by Roland LeBay is um, it's creepy it's creepy so i'm i'm going to go i'm going to go with the, the the book on this one and lee i'm going to go with the book as well um, i just think that she we have some more scenes to get into her head she's less of a character in the movie You know, not because she does or does not do anything. It's just that with the book, we're able to get in her head more. Um, With Arnie's parents, I'm going to go with the book. Again, we were able to see more in the book. Um, And then with Darnell, I'm going to go with the movie. You know, I'm not only roping in the performance, which is fantastic, but also the fact that the movie cuts out the extraneous plot of Arnie smuggling for Darnell which which fills up more than it has to in the book it could have been a really streamlined really really quick book but there's a good chunk there about Arnie breaking the law that it it shows that he's he's picking up where Darnell had left off he's following in Darnell was uh, not Darnell but LeBay's footsteps I get it I get it but um to me it was just a little unnecessary and I like that the the movie didn't even touch it with a ten-foot pole. And then uh, let's see, Dennis the book, you know, good good portrayal in the movie uh, of Dennis. I, I think he was fine, but in the in the book, I mean, he's, I mean, for the the first part of the book and the, you know, the last part of the book, he's the he's the narrator. You know, he is a huge part of the narrative of the book. So I'm gonna go with Dennis, and of the book, in the showdown between the the book and the movie, uh, we just we we just get to see so much more of him and, and, and his his ticks and his um, his fears and his character traits and you know just what Arnie means to him and the, and the complex feelings he has um, you know when he starts to to spend time with Lee and it's just we see more. Which isn't to say that what's in the movie isn't good. It's fine. It's fine. It's just that compared with what is presented on the page, the page is just—it's—it's more—it's—it's it's a little bit richer. And also, you know, Arnie does a great job uh, in the in the movie, but in the book, we get to see a much more striking transformation. You know, one that's physical as well as emotional and spiritual. And. Because, we're again, we're able to see more, I just, I gotta, I gotta go with the book. Now, what about the the main character herself, Christine? I'm going with the movie. Carpenter is able to give her so much personality, and it's so much harder to do in a movie than in a book, with a physical object. In the book, we're able to get exposition from other characters about Christine's past without taking up much time. You know, and that can't work in a movie, so we have to find out about Christine through action and it works wonders. you know, from oldies popping up to give us her thoughts to the incredible effects of her coming back to life. This is a fully realized cinematic monster that steals every scene that she's in. Plus, the movie version wins for the image of her engulfed in flames as she rides down the road. completely. Great, just great, great movie villain. Christine is awesome. Um, I've been looking at a lot of Stephen King art online, just a lot of fan art, and a lot of the art involves um, Stephen King's iconic villains. And Christine's in every one. I mean, when you have a compilation of Stephen King villains, you're, you're going to have always, always three, I've found. One is Jack Nicholson. Two is Pennywise a Dancing Clown, and three is Christine, and I, when I was first looking at at the the fan art, I was questioning that a little bit, I'm like, really, she's the big three, you know, she rounds it out, you know, I mean, not, you see Carrie, Carrie White drenched in blood a lot, but I, I think that that's not necessarily fair, because she's not one of oh, a true monster, as many of his, you know, I don't know why Randall Flagg isn't in as many of these fan art pictures, probably because there wasn't an actor to play him, regardless. I I, I wondered about Christine being represented as much as she did, but now I get it, I completely get it. She's a great villain, she's a great movie monster, um, and I wish that she was in more scenes. I wish that we, you know, we we, we got to see more of her, but what we did see was great. Now, with that said, as much as I love this movie, and, and don't get me wrong, I really, really enjoyed it, um, I'm going to go with the book because if you listened to my review last week, uh, you know, I, I said that the book was just, it touched upon so much about life, about someone's. Um, you know, early adulthood years, their their late childhood years, that, that weird blend of what it means to be a teenager, the fears of of parents when their teenagers are, are turning into people that they don't recognize anymore, um, just the, the unknown quality of the future, the, the freedom that comes with the car, the relationship between a boy and his first car, and you know, the the dwindling the, the friendships that come, you know, in between stages in life. There's just so much that King is speaking about. I, I have to go with the book. It's just, yeah, it's about a killer car, but it's about a lot more also. So um, I have to go with the, the book because the movie, um, you know, I mean, the stuff is built into its DNA, but I, I think that, you know, Carpenter was just telling a really fun, you know, B-movie about a killer car, and it works completely. I loved it. Um, but I'm going to go with the book. So... That's where we are, in the in the in the book versus movie. the the, the book wins this round. So uh, this was a pretty lean, mean uh, Stephen King cast. So I apologize, to everyone that that likes the longer ones. Don't worry, stick around uh, for next week as I dive into uh, Pet Cemetery, the the book, and then uh, the week after I'll get into Pet Cemetery, the movie. So uh, in the meantime, if you have any. Uh, thoughts or questions or comments that you'd like to make on, on this review or any review that's come before or, or any uh, Stephen King book that you want to chime in on, any one that, that I've covered so far or anyone that you want um to throw your two cents in on before i get to you know next week i'll be talking about pet cemetery so if you want to you know write in and, and tell me your thoughts about pet cemetery feel free to do so or any thoughts that you have you can just write to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com uh you can uh you know follow along at twitter pinterest instagram um or on facebook and if you have any uh any extra minutes during the week, I know that we all live busy lives, but you know, feel free to head on over to iTunes and uh, you know either um, give it a couple stars uh, or or you can write a review. Either way, uh, you can do all of that or you can do nothing and just listen um, and enjoy, and that is totally fine with me. So. Everyone, have a fantastic week and stick around for next week as I return with Pet Cemetery. And I will see you here next week. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen King cast.